0: Welcome to the Rosedale Bible College Chapel Podcast. We hope you are challenged and inspired by today's message. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. I believe in the forgiveness of sin. Every morning on the treadmill, I pray this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And I've been praying this all my life, but still, forgiveness is really hard for me. My mind goes more easily to justice. I like to see things set right. A few years ago, my mom gave me a box, some of my childhood papers. And in that box, I found a copy of a letter that I had sent to the Prime Minister of Australia. I had forgotten about this letter, but as soon as I saw it, I remembered how mad I had been when I sent it. They were killing rabbits in Australia just because there were too many of them. I had read about this in the Weekly Reader. That's the way kids got news back in those days. And I remember visualizing the slaughtered gentle animals. And it kept me awake at night. And even more, there were too many kangaroos and they were making plans to slaughter them, too. Dear Prime Minister, I wrote, this is a letter of complaint from a marriage. I will be blunt and say this right out. I think it's perfectly absurd to kill innocent animals. But I was also, I suggested that the Prime Minister solve his rabbit problem by supplying the whole world with Easter rabbits. And I was preemptive, too. I said, I wrote, if you start killing kangaroos like you are killing rabbits, you will receive another letter of this kind. Perhaps I thought this would keep the Prime Minister up at night worrying about my next letter. I did soften my tone at the end. Please send me an answer for this letter so that I may obtain your ideas on this matter, I wrote. Thank you very much for your bother concerning this matter. And I never heard from the Prime Minister of Australia. But in the decades since then, injustice has continued to bother me injustice and how people treat me, but even more, injustice in society and in the church. So anger comes easily to me, and I'm not always sure if I'm angry and sinning not, or if I'm just being angry. And still, every morning on the treadmill, I pray these words, and I really do mean them. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And I know I'm not alone in this. I know some of you well enough to know that you also struggle with how to do justice and love mercy and how to acknowledge that it's what's so very wrong and at the same time show the grace of God, how to understand the relationship between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of each other. So for help, let's go to some scriptures. Here's a principle, one that I don't fully understand, but that in some way human and divine forgiveness connect. Don Crable in his book, Amish Grace, about the nickel mine school shooting, the tragedy when Charles Robert IV took hostages and killed eight girls, writes about forgiveness in that Amish community. They had, Crable says, a strong sense of what he called the cross stitch of divine and human forgiveness. As he talked to Amish parents who loved their daughters, they quoted scripture. We pray the Lord's Prayer every day, they said. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And they quoted the explanation that Jesus gives right after this prayer, just in case his disciples didn't get it the first time. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And the Amish knew the story that Jesus told, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And in this parable, there's a sequence. First, the king forgives the servant and this represents divine forgiveness god forgives first second the servant refuses to forgive and third the king withdraws his forgiveness so although the king's graciousness does not initially depend on the servant's actions the continuation of his graciousness does. And Jesus implies here that it's unthinkable for a forgiven person to refuse to forgive. And I've come to see that one reason I have trouble forgiving is that I don't understand how much I have been forgiven by God. If only I truly understood And I've also come to see that each time I forgive someone, I understand the culture of forgiveness more. And I can more fully live in the forgiveness of God. It's a cross stitch of divine and human forgiveness. Another principle that gives me comfort is that God cares about justice. Justice flows from God's heart and character. God seeks to make whole all that is broken. What is broken in individuals? What is broken in systems that hurt people? And it's beautiful to me that the first scripture that Jesus chooses to read in the synagogue at the beginning of his ministry was this one from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Later, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and forgiveness. And did you notice that in this verse, Jesus goes to justice, but he doesn't stop at justice, God goes beyond justice to mercy. And forgiveness is a gift of mercy, a gift to those who least deserve a gift and who need it most. My husband, Steve, and I just sat with someone in fresh, raw pain. This person had been violated deeply and by a trusted friend. He sat there on the couch, his hands clenched, his eyes full of agony and suffering etched across his face. In this torment, he said, the only thing that saves me is thinking about Jesus, about the words that came from his mouth in his deepest pain, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Apostles' Creed, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I say this, and I mean this, but how can I do this? Though I believe in the forgiveness of sins, I need lots of help in knowing how to do this. And it has helped me to understand what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not trust. I can't grant anyone trust. People need to earn my trust. And I can forgive without trusting that person. Forgiveness is not excusing wrong. Forgiveness is not pretending that a wrong didn't occur. Forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. Forgiveness is not a pardon. Pardon frees offenders from consequence and forgiveness is not reconciliation reconciliation is when a relationship is restored and it takes two willing people and trust and sometimes it's not possible forgiveness can though open the way toward reconciliation so what is forgiveness it's a form of grace It always involves an offense and an offender and a victim. Forgiveness is admitting that what was done was wrong and should not be repeated. Forgoing the right to revenge. That is also forgiveness. But still, how do I do this? Psychologist Robert Enright has helped me Enright studied forgiveness, and not as a believer. Rather, he studied the empirical data of forgiveness alone, insisting that his method could be used by theists and non-theists alike. But this study ended up nurturing Enright's faith, brought him back to the church. Forgiveness, Enright found, is good for you, when you offer it. It reduces your anger, reduces your depression and anxiety and fear. It's even good for your cardiovascular system and your immune system. Now, I might know all this, but still, how do I forgive? Well, Enright has a model. First, he says, comes the uncovering phase, exploring the pain. You can't rush this, Enright says, if you want to actually find wholeness again. When someone hurts you, it's normal to feel pain. God created your brain to feel pain to help you survive when you feel threatened. And your emotions are like a gauge showing you how deeply you have been hurt. Your emotions help you acknowledge the truth. This is wrong, this makes me angry. And often you can say with certainty, this was not God's will. Here's one of the most freeing things someone said to me this year. God does not always get his way. Think about this. Rape is never God's will, or extortion, or the abuse of power or grief, and when wrong is done, we should mourn. It's like hanging out in the psalms. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. I'm weary with moaning. Every night, I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with tears. You put my tears in your bottle. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus said, for they will be comforted. Mourning is on the pathway toward comfort, toward forgiveness. Next, Enright says, is the decision phase. Something bad has happened, something that caused me pain, something that is wrong, and I am going to do something about it. For years, I got stuck in this stage, and here's what I did wrong. Over and over, I tried to change my feelings, and I couldn't. And then, someone explained a verse to me and gave me a metaphor to go with it. Here's the verse. Keep on working with fear and trembling to complete your salvation. And here's the metaphor. Pretend you're making a sidewalk, my friend said, and don't pour the cement before you build the forms. The forms, she said, make a container for the cement. And what you do makes a container for your feelings. So don't even try to control your feelings. Just act, smile, offer a hand, say something nice, even if these things don't match your feelings. These are all acts of faith that God will help you with your feelings. God will pour cement into the forms that you have created. And at first, this cement will be mushy, unstable, not a sidewalk you can walk on. But, if the forms stay in place, if you keep smiling, and offering a hand, and saying something nice, something happens. The cement actually becomes a sidewalk, and then the forms are no longer needed. You do your job, my friend told me. Build the forms and just leave your emotions to God. Feelings are not wrong, but actions can be wrong. This, Enright says, is decisional forgiveness and decisional forgiveness must precede emotional forgiveness. The work phase. In this phase, you work to gain insight, to understand more about the person who wounded you and the context in which it happened, and this is hard work. After the Nickel Mine school shooting, The media was transfixed by the Amish display of forgiveness and grace and how instant it seemed. You can read books about this and watch a movie, and I recommend that you do. But of course, forgiveness in the Amish community was more complicated than it seemed. Sometimes it's easier to forgive a big issue, one of the Amish grandfathers said but you might have a little issue you can't forgive. We have our own petty grudges, he said. We can forgive Roberts the killer in a heartbeat, but we can't always forgive our Amish neighbor. A mother whose daughter died in the shooting acknowledged that forgiveness is an ongoing struggle. Forgiveness stretches out over time, she said, but you have to start out with the will to forgive. But the bitterness may re-enter your mind from time to time. And then you have to think about forgiveness again. And I agree with this mother. I've come to see forgiveness less as a one-time event and more as a direction. Am I moving away from appropriate relationship or am I moving toward appropriate relationship? This is probably why Jesus talks about forgiving others 70 times 7. I forgive someone, and then something triggers me, and the emotions come floating back again. The emotions I can't control. So once again, I build a form with my actions. A form that God, in his grace, fills once again. And I live in freedom until the next flood. Keep going, Jesus is saying, 490 times. Don't feel guilty about your emotions, but keep working out your salvation. Keep building forms. In the last phase, what Enright calls the deepening phase, but what I like to think of as the widening phase, you move toward resolution. And I found another metaphor for this, a camera lens. When I'm first hurt, I zoom in, way in to examine the wound. This is the first stage of forgiveness. I look to see how deep the wound is and how wide. Is the tissue beefy red and bleeding easily? Or is it soft gray and sloughing away? Is the wound jagged or cleanly cut? This is all first stage stuff. But in this stage, this widening stage, I zoom out, getting a wider and wider view of the scene. For one thing. I begin to see that the wound does not define me, that I am larger than the wound. As I zoom still wider, I find that I'm not alone in this, that like me, others have been wounded. And I remember that I have wounded others who have forgiven me and that God has forgiven me. And when I expand my view again, I start to rediscover the humanity of the wrongdoer. At first, I define that person totally by the wrong toward me, reducing that person to a caricature. But with my wider lens, I can see that this person is caught in complexities. I can perhaps see this person as weak and confused and even fragile much like me. And as my lens widen more, I can remember Jesus in his deepest pain on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I know in my mind and in my emotions that in spite of everything, forgiveness means treating the offender as a member of the human community. You know, we're in this together. And when I watch you forgive, put down something bad to lift up something new, then I too can take courage to follow the path toward forgiveness. When I see that you don't sit and wait for someone else to make your life good, to take your pain away, when you refuse to be chained as a hostage to someone who wronged you, then I can take courage. Forgiveness is still hard work for you and for me. But I want to rest in the grace of God to let God's grace help me work toward what is just, but also to go beyond, to let God's grace fill the gap that exists between what is right and what is wrong. You are going to get in the way of other people's pain. You're going to get sidelined. You're going to get caught in wrecks. Some of you in bigger wrecks than others. You're going to be found on someone else's warpath. And when that happens, it will not be fair, or your fault, not what you deserve, but you're not going to get through unscathed. So at the end of your life, you are going to be scarred. But you can also be healed, because when you forgive, you refuse to become a victim, and then you can step into the kind of person that you always wanted to be. When you forgive, you don't return to who you were, how you were before the injury. Instead, you become wiser and bigger and kinder and stronger. So yes, on the treadmill this morning, I prayed, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And yes, I believe in the forgiveness sense. Let's pray. This is hard, God, what you've asked us to do to forgive. Help us to encourage each other. Help us to understand each other. But most of all, help us to see your great love, your great mercy, and your great forgiveness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And check out our other podcast series from our website at rosedale.edu slash podcasts. God bless you and have a good day.